0: the professional's choice. So I had my first successful attempt at using Google Hangouts to do a podcast. The audio was fantastic. Um, I was talking to Brandy Ference. She is a chiller tech um, and she knows her stuff, but. We might have to do the podcast again because I forgot to hit record on Google Hangouts. I forgot to start the broadcast. God damn. It's all about learning. So these are mistakes that that I'm making while I'm trying to learn this stuff. But the next time, I won't make the same mistake again. Anyway, so I'm going to have to fly solo for this podcast and just talk about some random stuff here. And one of the things that came up this week is copper and natural gas. Well, a lot of people were giving me grief about using copper for natural gas. They said, um, after a while, you can open it up and you'll see this black substance clogging up the gas valve or coming out of the pipe. I've never seen it personally. In Ontario, Canada, I put out a, a post on HVAC Hub, and half the people said they've seen it, and half the people said they haven't. This is from different parts of North America. Now, I did do some digging. Mercaptan, Captain, the additive that they add to gas to give it the smell, it contains um, H2S, and in the presence of moisture is corrosive to copper alloys okay so i guess depending on the quality of your copper and the quality of the gas then this might happen i've never seen it myself and a lot of techs have never seen it now the company that i bought the copper from um, they're not an offshore company their copper is made in canada i called them to ask them if anybody's reported this to them and they said they have no reports, the guy's going to do a little bit more digging to see if anybody has come across this. But he said he's been with the company for, I think it's 25 or 30 years. And he's gone through all stages of the company. It used to be on the floor. Now he's in customer service. And he's never heard of this. So I'm wondering if it has to do with the, the quality of copper and the quality of the natural gas that's used. Because if the gas is wet, you're getting moisture in the gas then yes this could happen and if the copper alloy is terrible like the uh, we've seen some of the offshore copper and how bad it is then yeah we could have this issue as well so anyway so just me flying solo guys hvac know it all podcast i'm your host gary mccready so a tool that i opened up today on this true tech tools minute was that navac tubing expander hydraulic tubing expander or pipe expander basically a swedging tool and it's like a gun that you pump and as you pump it the bit or fitting that you put on the end expands out then when you're done you have there's a little dial you turn the dial um to relieve the pressure and it and it kind of contracts back very very cool I've never used a hydraulic uh, tubing expander before, um, but I would definitely use that in place of couplings. I I used to uh, have the the, the swedging dies that you'd have to manually uh, hammer down into the pipe. Those were terrible. I hated those. This thing here is gold. Anyway, guys, 8% off of that tool, promo code Know It All. And as usual, the Testo stuff. Testo link preferred pricing link will be in the podcast summary. So, in the uh, the Testo digital manifold instructions or user manual, it states. At first, I got to tell you that uh, zeotropic blends are mixtures of refrigerants, like two or more, and basically the glide of the refrigerant. Is the boiling temperature of the boil the, the difference between the boiling temperature of the most volatile and least volatile components. Okay, so there's a glide there. There's a there's the that difference between when it starts to evaporate, when it's fully evaporated, and and that space in between is the glide. So in the manual for the testos, for superheat and subcooling, and it's important to know this: is that Superheat and subcooling are calculated with zeotropic blends after full condensation and after full evaporation of the gases. So it's a complete, kind of a complete mixture, um, for lack of a better term, when it's calculating that for you. Now, that will uh, prevent you a lot of times from pulling out a PT chart and looking up your, your dew point and your bubble point. Because there's a lot of techs out there and I was one of them that used one set of gauges, one set of compound gauges for all the gases. I would like six or seven gases, 410A, 22, 404A, 134A, um, I think 409A we used as a drop-in for uh, 12 on some older units. But I had to pull out a PT chart because my gauges never had all of those gases on it. So that is a cool feature of the gauge that does that for you. So you don't have to pull out the PT chart. And the promo is still on, guys, till the end of the month. If you buy a digital manifold, the 550, 557, 570, you get that Weha toolkit, $100 value for free with a mail-in rebate. So check that check that out, guys. Um, I was on the Yellow Jacket website, and they have a very cool vacuum pump that's brand new. It's, it's the YJ2 Vacuum Pump 5 CFM really cool looking pump it's a it's a bit of a different style from their regular pumps it's got more of like this futuristic kind of look to it so go check that out yj2 vacuum pump 5cfm at yellowjacket.com i don't know if you guys seen my um my little video from last week when i had sprayed some big blue onto a valve stem, like a service fitting. The bubbles that came out of that thing was crazy. Then one huge bubble came kind of growing out like a growth, like a tumor off the off the thing. It was massive. You guys heard the podcast last week with John Pastorello and how we talked about the uh, bubble surface tension. Well, this bubble was massive. And you don't get that from kid soap bubbles that you buy at Walmart that some techs say, oh yeah, just go to Walmart and buy kid soap bubbles. You don't get the same response out of those. That bubble was very, very cool. I was very impressed by that bubble. So anyway, that's Big Blue, guys, the science behind bubbles. You want to listen to that podcast with John last week? Tells you all about it. So yesterday, I came across a unit And I put out a couple posts about it. Basically, I had an evaporator on a walk-in cooler that was frozen up. So I shut the condensing unit down to let it thaw. And I had one out of four fan motors that was dead. So I let it thaw. I changed the fan motor. Okay, started up the condensing unit. And I noticed it wasn't running 100%. The the suction pressure was kind of low. The superheat was whacked out. So this is one of the things where people say, well, why did you do this first? Well, I went straight to the TX valve and I just kind of opened it up just to see what would happen, right? And it started to perform a little bit better, but right away I could tell it was, it was short of gas. So I started to leak check, got out the big blue. I got out the Testo 316-3 and I leaked, checked the thing very thoroughly and I couldn't find anything. And I'll tell you why I think I couldn't find anything. is because the evaporator had about four passes. Okay, and I think in one of the middle passes where I couldn't touch my leak detector too, that's where the leak was. Because I think it was a very, very, very tiny leak. Because, I mean, we haven't been back to this thing for a while. Like, we don't do maintenance on this particular machine. They just call us in when there's something wrong. So we haven't, we haven't been at this thing for a very long time. So what I did find was oil, traces of oil. So the way they were draining the water was out the back of the evaporator and into a bucket outside of the cooler. This is how they've set this up. So I looked in that bucket, I'm like, you know what? If the evap's leaking, there's probably going to be oil. So there was, there was traces of oil floating at the top of the water. So I'm like, man, that EVAP has got to have a slow leak. I'm not going to fix it. The interesting thing in Canada is that legally, you're not allowed to top up a system with a known leak. You have to isolate it, isolate it and remove the gas from that section or remove the gas altogether. The only time you're allowed to top it up is when there's a health concern involved. If you read the um, on the the government's website, there's information there. So you can top it up, like, for instance, if if it's in a hospital and the unit's cooling some rooms where there's some intensive care or um, some critical equipment or something like that, you can put gas in it, okay? Um, comfort cooling and, and coolers and stuff like that, you, you're not allowed to do that. So if I topped it up and walked away and I didn't write that I had fixed something, that is essentially illegal. So, what is I what I did was is I took the smart seal quick shot, oil based sealant, non clogging. It's not a polymer, it doesn't react with uh, moisture and air. It works by mechanical action. I put it into the system. Then I added the gas. Okay. So after doing that, the system ran better and my ass is covered. Because technically, adding that is sealing the leak. Now, it's such a small leak that I'm confident it's going to fix it. On larger leaks, you're not supposed to use that stuff for larger leaks, air quotes, because it really won't fix it. It's for very, very small pinhole leaks. And this was a situation that I would use it in every single time. The unit is old, pinhole leak in the evaporator somewhere. I can't physically fix it i'm not allowed to top the machine up without doing some sort of repair and i've heard in australia that's the same case you can't top up a unit right without making a repair europe is pretty strict too i don't know their rules and i know it's not so tight in the u.s but the trend it's all trending in that in that fashion so might as well cover my ass so i added it everything's good now it's running we resent the quote we sent a quote out to replace the units we resent out a quote again hopefully they um they respond and we get this work done so last but not least guys me and my pal Joshua Lou over at house call pro want to bring some more exposure to what they're doing over there cuz they really are doing stuff that's going to help out business owners in the industry to go to go paperless to have the ability to Send jobs directly to a tech's phone so they can be more organized and they're not they don't have a pile of papers in front of them. Um, I've seen it from the dispatch end how the dispatcher has like a table and blocks that are color coded for the techs and where they're going to be, which is really, really cool. Um, like I mentioned before, there's emails or text messages that go out directly to the customer when the tech is on their way. It's all automated. Okay, makes your life easier. And if you guys want to check it out, there's a free trial and a reduced first month cost. If you go to the landing page that House Call Pro set up with myself, housecallpro.com forward slash HVAC know it all. I kind of, I sort of wanted to revisit the HVAC six Sense thing because I did do a podcast on it. Um, one of the, the first podcasts when I had my old, my old mic, the very first mic I had, which was terrible sounding by the way. Um, but I feel this is a, a very important topic and, and there's some new listeners since then that may not have went back and listened to that episode. But what I mean by HVAC six Sense is using the senses that you have to troubleshoot. Now, where I am, where I'm based, the market is saturated with HVAC companies. If company A quotes um, X amount, company B will quote X amount minus $1. Company C will come along, quote, X amount minus $2, and so on and so forth. And customers, they can utilize this to their benefit. But in the long run, it doesn't really benefit them because it can generate poor work. It can generate neglect. I've been into some city buildings, and city buildings are the worst because just low is bitter, low is bitter, low is bitter. And I've been into some city buildings to do work that wasn't involved with the maintenance, it was something, something else like uh, maybe control work, like control systems that we took care of. And you go into the mechanical rooms and everything's a mess. It's because the techs, they don't have enough time to actually do a proper maintenance. They show up, they, they slam in some filters and they leave. And they wait for service calls to come in to go back and, and, and correct these issues. I had a, a coworker that left the company And went to work for a company that did a lot of city stuff. They took care of like um, police stations, uh, fire halls, stuff like that. And a lot of the times there wasn't even enough time for them to drive from one end of the city to the other and to do the maintenance. So a lot of times it wouldn't even get done. They would wait for a service call to come in. And when the service call came in, they would bring their filter or their, their filters and belt or whatever with them and bill it on the service call. That's crazy. That's, that's what happens in a saturated market because customers know there's enough companies out there that's willing to bid and bid low to get the work. So I've kind of grew up in the trade in that environment. So I've had to rely on my senses to troubleshoot a lot of things. Now, if you take care of a building and you're at that building all the time, you can walk. For me, I can walk up onto a roof, open up the roof hatch, and immediately I can tell if something's wrong. A lot of times, just by listening. Oh, there's a squeaky belt over there, or the bearings sound bad on that one. Why is that? Why is that unit vibrating? Why does it look like the cage on the uh, the condenser fan is vibrating? Then you go start checking these things, right? There's buildings. You only have enough time to change the filters just because it's so cutthroat. But you got to keep your guys busy. There's no fault to the companies or the company owners. They have no choice. They have to do it to keep themselves involved in the market or they're going to price themselves right out of it. There are customers that realize that the quality of work that they get is good and they put it on a pedestal and they're willing to pay extra for the quality and the extra bits and pieces of maintenance. But there's companies that that take advantage of the system. But in the long run, what they get back in return is not what they think. Reality and perception are two different things. So relying on your senses as a troubleshooting method is huge. So what I do is I'll walk up to a unit, for instance. This happened to me a couple weeks ago. Walk up to a unit, I put my hand on it. It's just the fan running. And I'm like, that vibration is off. There's something wrong. I opened it up, and right enough, the blower bearings were a bit wobbly. There was also a slight sound too, right? Um, And it helps when you go to buildings where... And I, and I know if you're in residential, this might not apply to you, but I go to buildings sometimes where every single time I go there, the fans are running 100% on all the time. That's just the way the building operates. So it's easy to tell if you put your hand on that unit and you don't feel any vibration, the fan is probably off. If the fan's off, we have to look further into this. This is another thing that happened. Same building. Three units were off. Okay, I got to look into these. And every time I got to look into something further, I call the building guy or the maintenance guy and I say, listen, I found these in the maintenance, but I don't have time to cover it on the PM. We need to open up a separate job to troubleshoot and fix it. If the repair is going to be over $500, let's say, then we'll quote you on the repair. And they're usually like, yeah, that's cool. Do that. So three units, put my hand on it. No vibration. Open them up. Blown fuses to the, uh, the blower fan. Now I did a little post about this on Instagram and Facebook. I found a contactor that had carbon or dust tracking across the, uh, the lines, the two pole contactor across the lines. And it popped the fuses. So the fan stopped. So I knew there was a problem without even opening up the panels. Just using my senses, listening, touching. So you got to hone those, those senses. I mean, if you're in a market where you can take every panel off, you can clean the coil, you can grease the bearings, change the filters, um, check amp draws of everything, and spend like an hour, an hour and a half per per unit, that's cool, but we don't have that a lot of maintenance contracts in this area they're they're quoted on the formula of 20 minutes per unit that includes picking up your filters and belts and whatever driving there accessing the building or the roof and by the time you get there and get all your stuff up there you're down to now like 15 minutes a unit so now you're hustling right so you're your your sixth sense, your senses of knowing things, how things are supposed to sound, how things are supposed to feel, how they're supposed to look, that's very, very important. Even smell. Walk into a mechanical room. You can smell if there's a refrigerant leak, if if you know what it smells like, if you've been in that position before. These are things that you, as as an apprentice, a young apprentice, you're not going to, be able to do right away. This takes time. This takes experience. 100%. I don't put gauges. There's there's systems out there that have been sitting on roofs for 10 years plus. I've never had a gauge on that system, ever. So you walk into, uh, let's say you walk into a building or a home or whatever, and it's the middle of the summer. It's a hundred degrees outside, but you walk in the house is comfortable or the office is comfortable. The humidity and the temperature are at set point. Okay. There's nice, nice cold air coming out of the diffuser. There's good airflow coming out. You change the filter. Okay. You go to the, the condensing unit or rooftop or compressor area of the rooftop. Um, The suction line is cold and sweating. There's tons of water coming out of the P-trap or drain. The liquid line is about 100 100 degrees, 105 degrees. So it's going to be like 10 or 15 degrees warmer than your hand. I'm not putting my gauges on that machine. Because everything is fine. See, every time you put a gauge on a machine, you're removing gas. You're also possibly adding air or moisture back into that system. Unless you're walking around with, with hoses filled with refrigerant of that specific unit you're working on, unless you're doing that, you're possibly causing contamination in that unit and removing gas. So there's tons of systems I've never had my gauges on. I will put my gauges on a system if I suspect there's something wrong all the time right and then you start getting into the technical aspects of checking pressures superheat subcooling um ambient outdoor temperatures compressor amp draw all of that stuff the sixth sense is not going to troubleshoot the unit but it's going to lead you in the direction of hey there's something wrong here we need to go a little bit further same with checking across filter dryers I've said this before, the palm of your hand is about 93 degrees-ish Fahrenheit. So if you touch something that's colder than your hand, it's colder than 93 degrees. Warmer than your hand, it's warmer than 93 degrees. So if you can take your two hands and put them across a filter dryer, you can most likely feel a difference with your hands. Most likely. Okay, and if you you're you feel that maybe there is maybe there isn't kind of borderline then you put your your temp probes on and double check these are things you get good at looking looking at things the carbon tracking or the dust tracking on the contactor i I saw that by looking oil stains or oil leaks that's by looking um Frozen coils, iced, iced up suction lines by looking, um, cracks and fan blades, dirty coils. like there's a ton of stuff that you can do with your senses. And when you get used to how a system runs, it becomes easier and easier and easier. Have you ever sat in like a movie theater or a church or or somewhere similar to that, and you can hear the compressor start? It's almost like a gift and a curse at the same time. But I hear that all the time. I'm like, oh, there goes the compressor. That's, that's a trained ear because I'm so used to hearing that noise. People sitting around that have never heard that before, or I'm sure they've heard it, but it's not in their, their best interest to know what it sounds like. They don't care. But you know what a, a compressor sounds like when it starts. Scroll compressors. They sound terrible when they run backwards. Terrible. They also don't pump. So if a scroll compressor backwards, you can tell by listening, and you can tell by feeling the discharge and suction line. They're not really going to change temperature. You're not going to have a, a hot one and a cold one. There's There's a lot of things that you can do. Now, I guess we're going to leave taste out of the equation because there's not many things that you're going to taste but you're going to feel, you're going to listen, you're going to smell, right? And you're going to see. Smelling is a good one. I know it's not good to breathe in any kind of fumes, but sometimes it just happens. Like I don't know how many times I've walked into an office, the heating's down, the AC's down, and right away I know what's wrong. As soon as I walk into the office, because I smell burnt windings. Burnt windings, I'm like, 99%, I guarantee you that's a blower motor that's burnt out. Go up to the unit, yep, blower motor's burnt out, because I know that smell. I've smelt it a million times. Dust burning off a heat exchanger is another one. So, In the land of server rooms, What we got to do is they got reheats for dehumidification. And during a PM, what we got to do is burn off the dust. Okay. Um, But you got to be careful because there's alarm systems in the, the server rooms, smoke alarms. If there's too much dust burning off, you can set the smokes off. So this is where your nose comes into play. And it's funny because I've done this in server rooms where there's IT guys working And I know what I'm about to do. They don't. They have no idea. (laughs) So I'll turn the the heaters on, right? And I start to smell the dust burning. And if it gets too much, if it gets to the point where like, wow, that's a lot of dust burning off. You got to shut it down before it sets off the smokes. But you do, every three months if you go, you are going to smell a little bit. So I'll watch the IT guys and I'll do this for fun, right? Because... You got to entertain yourself during the day. So I'll turn the heaters on and I'll just kind of stand around and I'll look at the IT guy and he'll like stop what he's doing and kind of like look around the room. And then he'll leave the room and then he'll come back in the room with two more guys and they'll start looking around and they'll <laughs> and I'll walk over and like, guys, what are you guys doing? Looking for like something burning? They're like, Yeah, what's that smell? And I'll and I'll explain to them what, what happened. Once in a while, if I'm nice, I'll go tell them first. So, But uh, it's it's just for shits and giggles, good times. Anyway, so you can tell just by smelling. If there's too much dust burning and maybe to shut it down, give it a few minutes and then restart it again because there's been cases where guys have done this and the smokes have went off and the fire trucks have showed up. So that's why burning dust off of reheats is important because if if it ever does it, When you're not there, it will set off the fire alarms and the smokes and the firefighters will come, but there'll be nobody there to explain it as to what is going on to no fault of their own because they don't really understand. So that's why it's important to burn them off. So when you're not there and it uses those heaters that they're not going to burn that crazy amount of dust off and cause that smell. So it's just a little tidbit guys, like HVAC Sixth Sense, it's a real thing, it really, really is, but it's all about experience. You have to experience the smells and the sounds and the touches and the looks to understand how to troubleshoot that way or how to take you down the path that something might be wrong. Then you, then you grab your tools once you, you have an indication that something might be wrong, and then you start doing it the right way. Your senses will lead you in the direction 100% every single time if you know what to look for. Another thing I wanted to talk about was I've been getting a lot of messages lately from younger techs, younger techs that are newer to the industry and their fear their fear of not knowing things, their fear of calling senior techs. And I don't think that they understand that they're allowed to make a mistake. I really don't think they they understand that. I don't think I understood that when I was younger. After years of making mistakes and learning from them and listening to real influencers in life, like big people in life, Like guys like Tony Robbins talking about how you got to make mistakes in order to learn. So I'll message these kids back and say, listen, it's, it's cool. Make mistakes, make mistakes early. Make a lot of them. Push buttons. Try this, try that. It's the only way you're going to learn. There's, there's things I do and people go, well, why did you do that? Well, it's because I want to learn how something works. Why'd you do it that way? In videos, like, I wouldn't have done it like that. I did it like this. Well, everybody has their own methods of doing things. But sometimes I do things that are extra or unneeded just because of the experience I might gain from it. I might gain something from it. Maybe not but that's also a learning experience right so there's there's it, it's it's either success or learning there's never failure because if you make a mistake i don't consider it failure if you're learning from it so success or learning those are the only two things in my mind that you can do and if you have that mindset going forward you will be confident i've made tons of mistakes in my career and and I don't know if I've mentioned this one on on the podcast before but one of the stupidest things I ever did was cut two blades off a blower wheel because I couldn't get to the uh the set screws well I couldn't get to the one set screw or maybe there's two I can't remember but I ended up cutting two blades off a blower wheel and I put the motor back in the blower wheel back in and it ran I didn't even think anything of it but I got a call a week later and hey this thing's vibrating like a maniac. Senior tech was not very happy with me. And um, I believe that motor came off my check or that wheel and the, the new motor came off my check. I believe it did. I would have to rack my brain to try to remember, but I remember vividly that it might've just been threatened on me, but I remember those words were said, this is coming off your check, whether it did or not. but. I think at that point in my career I kind of turned a new leaf because I could tell that if I didn't if I didn't improve from that point something was going to happen. I was going to get fired. So I'm like, you know what? This is serious stuff here. This is not just it's not just a job and a paycheck. This is actually a career and people depend on me to fix their machines and people are paying good money for me to go out there and do this someone's trying to run a business. I can't slack off because if I was running a business and I was paying someone, giving them a truck and tools and opportunity, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want them to slack off either. I'd be all over them. I mean, in a different kind of way, probably, but we got to understand mistakes are good if you're making progress and you're learning from them. Um, and you will make stupid ones. Apprentices that are listening to this, you probably will make really, really stupid mistakes. I remember I fried a uh, a 24-volt stat by putting like 240 volts to it. Surprised it didn't blow right off the wall. I've shorted out all kinds of things. Doing this and that. I think it was because I, I forgot to clip. It was like the old uh, fan limit switch that you, you it had like a six or eight inch long um bimetal and you slid it in. And I think you had to cut a jumper. This is years and years and years ago. Cut the jumper or not cut it. I did the opposite. And I sent um, primary voltage of the unit to the thermostat and blew it up. <laughs> So these are the things that you learn from them, right? I didn't read the manual for that thing. And now I read the manuals. If it's something brand new, 100%. I remember taking a manual, the first time I ever did a Jade Economizer um, retrofit, I took the manual, I went to the can, and I sat there and I read it. Okay, and There's something about those jades that a lot of people make mistakes on because they don't read the manual. If you're doing the enthalpy kit on the jade economizer, you have to put the outdoor sensor into the silk bus terminal. Other people are putting it to the outdoor air terminals, but if you read the manual, it states not to do that. And I don't know how many have come across that have been like that or how many techs that were unaware of doing that. But it's it's right in the manual. You got to read it. And that was just from me taking the time. Sitting on the can doing nothing anyway. It's either that or scrolling through my Instagram feed. So I thought I'd pick up the manual and learn about the product I'm installing. So I guess you can avoid your mistakes to some point. If you take care and take a little bit of thought and apply it to what you're doing if you take that care and thought and you kind of process and go through this method of doing things then you might lessen your mistakes you're still going to come across them you're still going to make them like i said learning learning is the main thing so success and learning there's no failure if you have that mindset, you will be successful and you will keep building on your confidence. So I put out a, a post just in closing here. I put out, a, I, I made a, a mock-up of a hat and the hat said, because I'm vacuum rated as fuck. <laughs> and I just said, who would wear this? And it was kind of a joke, right? just just for some content and a laugh and, and to get some funny responses and to have a conversation. Now, most people said they wouldn't wear it. And I get it, because nobody wants to walk into a customer's home or office or whatever wearing that hat. If you got kids, you don't want them to read it. Okay, just more like a, more like something that you would hang in your office or hang somewhere. I don't know. You wouldn't really wear it around, but just a joke. Anyway, some people get offended by profanity. And that's okay with me if they get offended by it. What what I kind of don't like is people that say that you can't use it or shouldn't use it. Because I don't care if you don't use it. And I'm not a potty mouth by any means. Like I don't go around, F this, F that. But let me tell you, I grew up very, very worldly. Okay. I've experienced many, many cultures, many cultures. I was born in Scotland overseas. Okay. So I've grown up around Scottish, English, Irish. They all swear like troopers. Okay. And, and it's all in good fun. It's, it's all in the context. I'm all about context and message. I'm not about the words that are used. So I came over to Canada. I've had best friends that were Vietnamese I've had best friends that were Jamaican, best friends that were Indian. My wife has um, Spanish and Italian in her family. Um, Her stepdad and our brother-in-law is Portuguese. So I've been around a ton of cultures growing up. And I've seen how different parts of the world do things. And I don't take offense to... To many things to be honest with you because it's just how people roll i don't want people to take offense to me so i don't take offense to them unless they're being insulting or negative in some sort of way but if they're if their message and their context is cool it's positive it's humorous it's fun if they throw in an f-bomb it doesn't bother me it doesn't bother me at all um Some of the most successful people, you're listening to a podcast right now. The number one podcast in the world, I believe, right now is the Joe Rogan podcast. And when he is lining up his sponsors at the beginning of the show, he is swearing while talking about them. Um, Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins is a guy that CEOs of companies, presidents, high end athletes, you name it they go to him for mot- <clears throat> motivational help if they're lost they need they need to get to that next step if you ever watch his seminars they're captivating and he swears all the time in his seminars it wakes people up so i see a place for it strategically pr- st- strategically placed profanity i think has a place in this world. Someone that use uses F-bombs in place of the word um, that's not cool because that just shows their lack of vocabulary. But if somebody has, has words, somebody has a message, somebody is articulate in their speech and they add an F-bomb at the end of the sentence, I'm okay with that. I actually think that's really, really cool. They're just emphasizing Because profanity a lot of times is just emphasis on what you're saying to give it that boost. Some people don't agree with that. That's okay. Just don't get angry at me if I agree with that. Because it's like the tattoo thing. Everybody that doesn't have tattoos or some people that don't have tattoos, they get upset that people have tattoos. Well, the people that have tattoos don't care if you don't have any. Just live your life how you want, be happy, spread your message. And if somebody throws in profanity, but they're being positive, they're being funny, they're being insightful, they're being articulate, don't, I mean, there's nothing to be angry about. That's just them. Anyway, guys, I'm out. It's late. Happy HVACing.